We're continuing in a sermon series that comes from three individuals in the Old Testament, two brothers and a sister. I have somebody visiting this morning whose name is Miriam. I said you should have been here last week because last week we did Miriam, but we will restate her this morning. And what we are looking at is... Old Testament stories that are foundational in our lives. We are calling them these heroes of the the Old Testament to get us familiar or more familiar with their stories as we read them ourselves, as we do our own personal Bible study. But it's dangerous to call anyone a hero of the Old Testament because who is the only hero of the Scripture? Jesus, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The scriptures point us to Christ. They do not point us to ourselves or to human beings. We're talking about failed beings. And there's a term I like to use, which is called fake it till you make it. And sometimes people misunderstand that. And so I'm also, in these three weeks, trying to explain what I mean and how I understand what that is. Our emotions and our feelings sometimes keep us from doing the right thing. Amen? It does to every one of us. Our heads and our minds go in one direction, and yet we know that God wants us to live a different way. So when I say fake it, think of these three words. Faith. Advice. But not just any advice, godly advice. Knowledge. Knowledge of the Scripture. And encouragement that we receive from others. When we put those three things together, we live by faith, we get godly advice, we have the knowledge of the scriptures, and we get encouragement from others, then no matter how we may feel we should live, we're able to make the choice to live the way God wants us to live, and then eventually our feelings come around. You see, if we go by our feelings, we're tossed every which direction, and God wants us literally to live the proper way and allow our feelings to come in line with that. Last week, we did begin looking at these three siblings, Miriam and Aaron and Moses. And we used Miriam for the first of these things in our acronym, the word faith. We saw how she was a godly young woman who was raised in a godly home, and she was able to take an incredible step of faith. She approached Pharaoh's daughter. She was a Jewish slave living in Egypt, and she was literally able to walk up to Pharaoh's daughter, take her stand, and start talking to her, which in turn rescued her brother and allowed her brother Moses to live. This week, we're looking at the second of these three siblings. We're going to look at Aaron. Aaron is the advisor of the family. And I am going to ask you this question as we go into today's message. Who do you listen to from advice? It makes all the difference in the world. Do you have good godly advisors in your life? Because again, if we simply go according to our own thoughts and our own feelings, we are prone to make some pretty bad mistakes, every single one of us. But if we have the right people who can advise us and keep us on track with our faith, our knowledge of Scripture, then when we struggle, we know who to go and talk to. And every single one of us should have those people we can talk to. And also, we should be aware that we may be that person for someone else, and that's a good thing. If God calls you to be that advisor and that strength for someone else, it can be discouraging at times because it can be frustrating. Amen? Because people can still make some pretty tough decisions and we just love them through it. 
But guess what? That's the same with us as they're looking at us. And that's why this idea of getting godly advice is so key within the Scriptures. You see, Moses in the Old Testament is a guy I like to call the man with a million excuses. Every time God told him to do something, he could come up with another excuse. And if that excuse wasn't good enough, he came up with another one. In chapter 3, God's appeared to Moses, and he still says that's not enough for him to go and to speak to Pharaoh and let the people go. We all do that, every single one of us. We get that clear direction in our life, and God wants us to make a decision, and we somehow feel that we don't have enough faith. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a faithful enough Christian to do that or to take that on. Or, oh, how do I really know after God has given me 75 signs that this is the right thing to do and I've read about it in the Scripture and I know it's the right decision, but how do I still know it's the right thing to do? And so what we do is, unfortunately, we go into our own thinking and that's when we mess it up. And that's why Jesus says, what kind of faith do we need to have? Just as little as a what? Come on, say that loud. Mustard seed. God doesn't tell us you have to be the greatest of all Christians before you can do anything and make the right decisions. The Scripture teaches us clearly in the teachings of Jesus, all you need is the faith of a mustard seed. And Jesus says, remember, it's the smallest of all seeds. It's just a tiny bit of faith, but as long as we have that faith, we get the good godly advice, we know what the Scripture is teaching us, we get encouragement from others, guess what? Then we have no excuses. We can make the decisions we need to make and live the life that God calls us to live. And the problem for us is the same problem that we found with good old Moses, and that is that our mind is a dangerous neighborhood. I'm looking at all of you. I'm seeing a whole bunch of bad neighborhoods. <laughs> Scariest neighborhoods in the world are happening right here this morning, whether we like it or not. How many of you have ever gone through life and never thought a crazy thought? How many of you have just always had the right instinct and, you know, when you think about something, you just instantly know the right thing to do and you just always do it that way? I can think of so many times in my life. One time there was a young woman in our church who had gotten into some legal issues and the first thing I wanted to do was call her family. So I called them up on the phone. Fortunately, it was before the days of answering services and I didn't get a hold of them. Because later, her husband called me and said, whatever you do, don't tell anybody the news that just came out in the Boston Globe. We need to deal with it ourselves. Good old Stan's mind was a dangerous neighborhood, thought that he knew better and he could do something. Fortunately, God intervened and the family never knew that I made that phone call. You see, that's a way that we unfortunately tend to do things. We see the same thing with Moses in the Old Testament. God has a purpose for Moses. You are going to be the person who's going to free the Jews and they're going to get out of Egypt and they're going to go to the promised land. You've got an amazing task before you. And then we read in verse 1, Then Moses answered, But. But. But they will not believe me. Then we see in verse 10, God again says, listen, all these things I'm showing you, you can do it. Verse 10, but Moses said to the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not eloquent enough. But. That one little word gets us every single time. God called Moses, but he started to think about it. He went right to his head. 
Now, I have talked to so many people who say it was easier for people in the Scripture. It was so much easier for them. God appears to them in a burning bush. God comes to Moses and does these amazing miracles in front of him. Not really. Because people are people. The point of the Scripture is no matter how much someone sees, no matter how clear God is to us, when we go to our own thinking, we just mess it up every time. Four times, four times, God told Moses to go to Pharaoh, but four times Moses started thinking about it, coming up with excuses, trying to figure out why he shouldn't be the right person, why he couldn't do it. It didn't matter how much God did as a miracle before him. It didn't matter how much God had showed him or God had prepared him or equipped him. Moses still went to his own thinking. Remember, for us to live the way God wants us to live, we need to have that faith. And at those times when we know the right thing to do and we start thinking differently, rather than hesitating, we need to be willing to go to talk to somebody who can pray with us, who can encourage us. And that's eventually what we're going to see. Fortunately, does happen with Moses. But God, in his own thinking, in his own mind, he just hesitates was Oscar Wilde who said, hesitation is a sign of mental decay in the young and physical weakness in the old. We just delay. God says, go, and we say, but I'm not ready. God says, teach Sunday school, and we say, but there's somebody else who's more prepared. God says, forgive your family, and we say, but they might take advantage of me if I do. God says, make that change in your life. And we say, but I'm not sure if I'm ready. I failed so many times before. We do just like Moses. We just do but all over the place. I was a freshman in college, and I took a class at the University of North Dakota the summer after my freshman year. And it was on American literature. And the teacher came to Robert Frost's poem, The Road Less Traveled. And he said, what people never hear in that poem is that what Robert Frost did is he wrote a letter to a friend of his who just couldn't make a decision. And he kept saying, just make your decision. And the friend was like, but I'm not sure, but I need to think it more. And so he said, life is like a path and you come to two paths. You need to make a choice. Hesitating, you're just never going to get anywhere. You're just going to stand there. So in the poem, the guy says, I come to two paths and both of them are good paths. I look down one, it looks great. I look down the other, it looks awesome too. They both look the same. He said, make the decision, go back and read the, pro the poem, and years later when you look back, you'll say, ah, I took the road less traveled, and that made all the difference. As long as we're thinking, and as long as we're hesitating, Satan has us right where he wants us. We never do God's work, and we never become the people that God wants us to be. We don't make the changes, we don't do the ministry, we don't get involved with the things that we need to do, and Satan knows that, and that's what's going on in Moses' head. God tells him what to do, and he butts God all over the place. But I'm not smart enough, but I don't have enough faith, but people might not believe me, but I don't speak well enough. And over and over, Moses comes up with the same thing. Our minds are dangerous. We're talking today about getting godly advice. 
godly advice and having spiritual people in our lives is so that we can combat that very fact that God knows happens to every one of us. That's why God did not deliver the children of Israel through Moses, but through Moses and Miriam and Aaron. Miriam has the faith. We're going to see eventually Moses is the one who has the knowledge and the information, but Aaron is there, the one to advise his brother and get him back on track. Because you see, the thing is, we keep thinking in our own minds, there must be some reason why God made a mistake and called us to do something or asked us to do something or asked us to make a change. And we keep thinking we somehow are different than someone else. Amen? It's easier for somebody else. Oh, if I only had the opportunities they had, I could do the things that they did. Well, Pastor Stan, if you realized what had happened in my life, you'd realize why I can't make that change right now. No, God wants us to make that change right now. At this moment, whatever God calls us to do, God wants us to do. Because God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. God calls us, and it's God's business to get us ready to do the things that God wants us to do. I have seen so many people who freeze and hesitate before they make a choice to change in their life when finally they make that change, finally they make that commitment, and they're just blown away at all the people that God has put in their path to help them along the way. I am amazed at the number of people who take on a ministry or an opportunity or a new job that they've agonized over. They finally come to the point where they say, I'm going to do it. I'm finally going to do it. And it's, it's amazing how many things God does for me now at that point to open up the path and make it all work. Verses 2 through 9, the Lord says to Moses, what is that in your hand? Moses says, a staff. God says, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put your hand and catch it by the tail. So he caught it by the tail and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe the Lord your God the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Now, God wasn't done. That's not enough equipping for you, Moses, because you're butting me all over the place and you keep coming up with excuses. So again, verse 6, the Lord says to Moses, put your hand inside your cloak. Moses did. He put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back in your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored to good flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it onto dry ground, and the water you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground." You see, God immediately equips Moses. Oh, you got all these excuses? You think you can't do the things that I'm calling you to do? You think you can't make the changes? God says, okay, listen. Look at all the ways in which I'm equipping you. Moses was able to do signs and wonders. But remember, he still needs an advisor. He's still not ready to go. He's still not ready to make that change and to let go and to let God and to go deliver the people. Over and over and over, we learn in our lives that when God calls us to do something, it's God's business to take care of the problems, not ours. 
When God calls you to make a change in your life, God will do the things to make the change of your life happen. When God calls you to do something good and to help someone or to take on a new challenge, God is going to be there and he's going to be faithful. We don't have to figure it out in our minds. The reason God puts godly people in our lives to be advisors is to remind us of that. At those times when we get ourselves discouraged and we go into our thinking, we need those errands in our life who can stand with us, who can pray with us, and can encourage us. We as a congregation are seeing this week that we have people going through really awful things. It's our responsibility to be the body of Christ, to love, to pray, and to care for people. But as far as equipping us, as far as God doing everything he needs to do to equip us in the ministry that we're called to do, God shows up every time. Have you ever heard a wonderful solo? Have you ever heard a song that really touched your life? Just was amazing. Have you ever heard somebody, have you ever had that moment in your life when you heard somebody sing, and at that moment you're like, wow, I want to capture this and remember this forever? That happened to me. I was going to Emmanuel Baptist Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and it was Easter. And I was away from my family. It was my first year to be away in Indiana, and so I wasn't at home with mom and dad where my dad was a pastor. And I went to church that Sunday, and I saw that they were singing what at the time was a very popular song that had become popular by Sandy Patty. It's a song, We Shall Behold Him. And I saw it in the bulletin, and I actually got excited. I said, wow, this is great, one of my favorite songs. And I had heard the soloist who sang that song, and I'd heard her sing before, and I thought, this is going to be spectacular. And she walked up to sing, and the piano started to play, and she said, she started crying. She stopped, and she said, I'm sorry. Could you do that again? Start it over. And the second time they played, and she got like, one line out, and she just broke down sobbing. And she turned to the congregation, packed that Sunday morning, it was Easter, and turned to the accompanist and said, I'm sorry, these words are far too meaningful for me. I just can't sing it. And she sat down. I was blown away. God ministered through her song in a way she never could have imagined. No matter how much work she had done, no matter how much preparation she had done, no matter what she thought she needed to do to deliver the message that day that God had, none of that mattered because it was God who was going to deliver the message, and it's God who works through us, and it's God who is going to work through Moses to deliver the children of Israel, and it's God who's working in your life, and we need to get out of the way, and we need to get out of our heads. A few years later, she showed up at the college I went to, as the head of our cafeteria services. And I sat down with her and I said, do you remember when you sang We Shall Behold Him on Easter? She said, the most embarrassing moment of my life. And I said, that was the most awesome solo I've ever heard. And she said, Stan, it's amazing how many people have told me that. God equips us. God does the work. We keep thinking we need to figure it out. We are called to be obedient and to leave the results to God because our minds are dangerous neighborhoods and God doesn't call us once we're ready. God calls us and does the work so that God 
can take the credit and the glory for the things that God does through us. We are called to be obedient and to leave the results to God because far too often we will feel like we're inadequate because, folks, we are too inadequate. We are inadequate, every single one of us. We know ourselves. We know our sins, our problems, our compromises, and all the times that we haven't done the things that God calls us to do. And God doesn't care because he still loves you and he's still going to work through you. It was my first year here and Hurricane Katrina hit. And the Machado family had two young girls at the time. I know the age of the young one, Mary, because she was going into third grade. I know that because our son Todd was the same age and he was going into third grade. And the two little girls decided that they wanted to do a lemonade stand because they wanted to help the kids and the people who were affected by Hurricane Katrina. Dad looked at them and said, that is the most foolish idea I've ever heard. We live on a dead-end street, and nobody is going to come down this street and buy lemonade from you. And they said, Daddy, you just need to have faith. So Mary and Emma set up their little lemonade stand, and John said, hey, whatever. And about a half an hour later, they came running in, and they said, Look, Daddy, look at all the money we made. And he said, What happened? And they said, the fire truck stopped by and they said there was a false alarm on the end of our street and when the fire truck went by, they saw our lemonade stand and they bought all our lemonade and took it back to the fire station. <laughs> God shows up for us, folks. It's not about us having the perfect location or not about us having the best made lemonade. It's not about us thinking it through or telling our kids where to set the stand up. It's about trusting God and knowing that he will show up. That's the lesson that Moses needs to learn, and that's a lesson we need to learn. Thus, we call it fake it. Have faith. Seek the right advice. Have the godly knowledge by knowing the scriptures and receive the encouragement so that we can live the life that God's calling us to live. We can make the changes God wants us to make and we can be bold in our faith. Do I have an amen? amen. We need to be bold in our faith. Amen? amen? That's what God wants you to do. is to realize he's with you and he's empowering you. And then to remember when we get discouraged that God appoints trustworthy advisors to support his plans. I don't care where you are in your life today. You're not alone. I don't care where you and I need to make a change or do something for God. Not only will God go before us and not only God will make it happen for us, he will put people in our lives because that's just what God does. That's why we're called the body of Christ. With the hand, the feet, the eyes, the ears. Jesus isn't physically with us, but look around, look around, look around. Look around better. We're the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. There's many people in here to encourage us and to support us and to get us through anything, whatever God is doing and calling us to do because he knows better than we do. But again, verse 13, Moses said, I know, God, you burning bush thing. I get it, and I saw you there, and... 
I know you told me your name is Yahweh, and that's just going to be the name that's going to be used for all of the rest of human history, and it's going to appear all through the scriptures, and I get all of that, God. And I get that you give commandments and all of those things are all going to take place. I, I, I get it. All of those are, those are just all going to happen. You're going to be faithful. And I can throw a piece of wood on the ground that turns into a snake. I can pick it up. That's really amazing stuff, God. That's cool. I can put my hand in my coat and it turns to leprosy and comes out. I get it. I get it. You rescued me from the Nile when, when Pharaoh wanted to kill all the babies and you saved me. And I get it. You gave me a godly family. But God, you still don't understand. Like, I know you made me. I kind of get that. But I think you're still making a mistake because after all, you're God and I know you kind of understand it all. But I'm Moses and I'm really a smart guy here, okay? And that's what he says in verse 13. But again, Moses said, oh, Lord, please send someone else. He's just like us, isn't he? I get it, God. I get it. You've been faithful in my life, and you've answered a million prayers, and you've gotten me out of every bad situation. And no matter how tough things got, you were always there faithful with me. And no matter how much I thought that this was going to be the end, you got me out of the end. I get it. You've done it over and over and over. But I think this time, God, you made a mistake. It's how we live our lives, unfortunately. Then the Lord's anger was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? Moses still wasn't convinced. I guess talking directly to God wasn't enough. For all of us who think, All I need is that really big experience, no, we don't. No matter what we come up with, no matter how many times God is faithful to us, if we're going to doubt, we're still going to doubt. Then the Bible says that God in the Hebrew word is off. It's the Hebrew word for flared his nostrils. When it says he's angry, it says God flared his nostrils at Moses. We've done it to our kids. God did a big huff. Are you kidding me, Moses? Every single time I've been there for you, I'm telling you I'm there again. I'm telling you it's going to be successful. I've shown you everything. I'm equipping you. I will be with you. I will equip you. And you still have an excuse. And then God says, you just aren't hearing me. We need to remember something about the book of Exodus. It's part of the Pentateuch. And it's written by Moses. So as we read his story, he's telling on himself. He's wanting us to understand how tough faith is. And he's letting us see all the times that God was there for him and he still doubted. Do you and I ever get like that? Yes. I answered your question right here in my notes. You can all check. Do you and I get like that? Yes. No matter how many times, we still can doubt. And this is why we need godly friends or to be a godly friend to someone else. This is why who is in our circle matters. Who you listen to makes all the difference. Because you know what? Satan knows one thing. 
that if he can put the wrong people in our lives and we just are influenced by them and let them do our thinking for us, we're not going to live the lives that God wants us to live. But when we get to the point where we take seriously that God wants us to live by faith and that means be part of a Christian community, be part of a faith group, get connected with somebody, have somebody that can pray with us, have somebody that when things go wrong, we know we can call, have somebody that we can talk to at those moments when our mind takes us in a different direction, which is why the question for today is, who is the Aaron in your life? Because God couldn't convince Moses. So he said, go talk to Aaron. Remember, you got Aaron. He'll talk for you. He'll go with you. He'll be with you. God never left Moses alone. God never left Aaron alone. God never left Miriam alone. He made them a family to love and support each other. D.L. Moody may not be a name that we are as familiar with today as we would have years ago, but D.L. Moody was the greatest evangelist of the 19th century. The guy was literally amazing. He was Billy Graham before Billy Graham, and he could pack them in everywhere he went. But far before Billy, before D.L. Moody was D.L. Moody, he was a young man who was a Christian who had made a friend of an English minister named Charles Spurgeon. And he went over and he traveled to see his friend Charles Spurgeon. And it was Spurgeon who gave him advice on how to be an evangelist and started his ministry in London that got quite big. And then Spurgeon sent him back to the United States. And when the news in America had hit how well this young evangelist was doing in London, he became the head of large crusades here in America. I was privileged a number of years ago, because you used to be able to walk into the D.L. Moody home over in Northfield, and they hadn't archived anything yet. And you'd able to walk in, and you could actually touch every single thing that D.L. Moody owned. And I was able to sit in his desk, and I was able to look through his letters. They used to have it like that. I remember turning to the person who was the, the head of the Moody home and said, why are you letting me do this? And they said, well, we've never really done anything else with it. Now everything's under glass. And she said, you can look at everything here, including the, the famous Spurgeon Bible. Now, I knew a lot about the story, so I opened the Bible, and inside it there was a letter. And the letter was from Charles Spurgeon's wife, who said, D.L., Dwight, my husband has passed away, and I know he always promised you his Bible, and I know the two of you were best friends, but I couldn't part with his Bible. So I've purchased a Bible that is exact replica of his Bible, and I have meticulously written every single note from his Bible, Bible to give you an exact replica. I guess D.L. Moody had an errand he could count on. He had a friend and a person in England that he could visit, could write letters to, could pray with, and had a deep love and respect for. But you know, D.L. Moody didn't only have an Aaron living across the sea. One day somebody asked D.L. Moody, what's it like to be the greatest evangelist in the world, and what's your secret? He said, oh, you'd have to ask my music director, Iris Sankey, about that. Because he not only had support far away, he had it with him every single day. 
No matter what he faced in his ministry, he had his best friend with him constantly. Who is the Aaron in your life? Folks, life is not easy. There are things that we go through that we wish we didn't go through. There are things that God calls us to that are difficult choices. And if we're going to live a life of faith, we need to learn lessons from people like Miriam and Moses and Aaron. And yes, they changed the world. And yes, a lot of times if you go and you pull out the Ten Commandments movie with Charlton Heston, it looked like Moses is this just amazing guy who did it all, but he was a person like you and me with all the doubts and all the questions and all the wonderings of how am I going to do it. And he learned to live a life of faith because of the family he came from and the sister who was always there to encourage him to make the right decisions. And he got the advice from his brother who became his spokesperson and his greatest support. He learned the knowledge of the scriptures because God gave it to him firsthand. And he gives us the first five books of the Bible, which is the Pentateuch. And the three of them encouraged each other. And there is a pretty good recipe for how to live our lives. I encourage us as we continue one more week of looking at these three people to think in our own lives this morning, who is the Aaron in your life? Alone is going to come forward and is going to invite us to take a time for prayer. But I do ask you, if there's people you need to surround yourself with, take the step of faith and know that there are people who are willing and wanting to encourage you. I'll be your Aaron. This is a time in the service where we just take a moment to have a deep reflection upon the word. So I welcome every one of you just to sit up straight, to take that deep breath, to let it wash over you, to let the message that Pastor Stan has poured out to him because it was poured into him by our Heavenly Father resonate and sit with you for a moment. And now as we open our hearts and our minds and our souls, we pray, dear most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending him to us so that we can be received. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. For we know that the road is not easy, that there are roads and paths that are divided. And this week, Faith Community Church, we have seen such roads. We have seen such moments of valleys. But yet Christ walked with us every single step of the way. Yet his advisors whispered into our ears and the body of Christ and each and every person surrounded us and folded us and comforted us. And as we move forth from this place, we just open up our hearts and souls to you, to the word and to the message that you have instilled in us to renew us, to regenerate us, 
and to move us forward, to not stand still in the butts in our minds, but to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Send me, for you will equip. And as we come to a closing, we offer this time to come forward, to come to the altar and to pray and be prayed over. And as Christ is just weighing so heavenly on on me right now at this moment, Jesus, I can just feel that even amongst us today, if there is one sheep that that is astray, that is lost, we welcome you to the altar as well. For we know that he has spoken personally to you today in this message. And we welcome you to come forward as we welcome you with open and loving arms. And as we go forth, may this message resonate with us today. May we bring it forth and share the news with others. May we remember that our valleys are low and our mountaintops are high, but within in every season, Christ is with us holding our hand as a good shepherd that he is. We pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. At this time, as we rise in body and spirit, we welcome anybody who would like to come forward for prayer to do so. If you feel as though you are lost and Christ has been speaking and put something heavy on your heart, then we ask you to come forward. We welcome you to come forward. Take this moment to pray and be prayed over.